I'm excited to be here. Another episode of the Midnight Founders podcast. And we have Darren Hill, the founder, started the vision of RevRoad. So excited to be here with you guys. Trusted friend and mentor from my standpoint. So very excited to be here with you, Darren. This is oh. cool. We've been looking forward to this episode for a long time. This is yeah. a thrill. You guys have done such an amazing job with Midnight Founders. I hope everybody listens to it. Thanks. It's getting a lot of traction right now, so we're excited. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. Yeah. So many great people, so many great things to, to learn. And such cool stories. I mean, entrepreneurs, I mean, what better segment of the market to talk about than those that are out there in this, you know, in the sling of it and just trying to make things happen. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. In the arena. In the arena. That's the word I was looking for. Yep. Yes. I've been excited to have this, um, have you on the show because, you know, I met you probably like my third or fourth day on the job. And I was just really impressed with uh, how involved you are in the network and how, uh, how good you are at like bringing people into conversations and, um, connecting people that can help each other succeed. So I'm excited to hear kind of why you chose this as your life's passion and what, what got you started. Have you been entrepreneurial from birth? Like, was this, <laughs> you know, ingrained in you at an early age, or is this something that you grew to love over time? You know, it's really, it's really interesting. I, I'd love to say I'm a natural entrepreneur, but I'm not. Um, I'm kind of the opposite of that. You know, when I take the Myers-Briggs or any of the other kind of personality assessments, um, I always come out as an introvert. You know, I'd rather sit in a corner and read a book than be at a party uh, with a bunch of people. So hard to believe. I know that those <laughs> that are listening are like, no, that's not the dare and we know, but that's cool to hear. Um, but, uh, I've certainly been very, uh, fortunate and blessed even to be able to have great people who have taught me lots of skills that just didn't come innately. And, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful for that. My parents are the, the, the first and best teachers I've ever had. You know, they've, uh, given me incredible opportunities throughout my whole life. Um, at one point they, they moved to a farm in Missouri and, uh, that's where I was raised, uh, for most of my life. And, and you learn a lot about entrepreneurship on a farm. You know, you learn the, the law of the harvest and you, you reap what you sow and the whole cycle of, of life and cycle of other things, you know, and that you actually have to give care and nurture to things to, to make them better. And, um, uh, and, and my parents are great examples of, of helping each one of my siblings and I get those opportunities to do that. So, yeah, I mean, uh, even as early as I, uh, oh gosh, I was probably like eight or nine, you know, saving up money to go to scout camp. We would stand in front of Walmart and sell M&Ms for twice the price that you could buy them inside the store. That's a great deal. <laughs> it's a, a like a steal of a deal, right? <laughs> you know, do that from a cute little kid. Um, but a little the, more uh, profitable than a lemonade stand too, probably. It definitely was. Yeah. Um, but our parents gave us lots of opportunities to do things like that. And, uh, I'm super grateful for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So, uh, when did they, when did they buy the farm? How oh, old wow. were you? That was a long time ago. It was 1970, um, had to be 77. Yeah. 1977. So you were young at the time. I, w I was born in 1970. So okay, yes, so seven, I was so seven years old. It's like the first, it's, it's my memory. earliest memories. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. Interesting. So yeah. what, what brought them to that point? Why did they do that? Uh, actually, um, 
uh, fascinating story. Uh, my dad was an entrepreneur, had a business uh, in Utah, and um, uh, right on Main Street in uh, Springville. And uh, they just built a new home, and uh, things were going great. And interestingly, both of them just had this feeling separately. My mom and my dad had this feeling that they were supposed to be somewhere else. And neither of them told the other um, for a while because things were great and they didn't want to move. And uh, and finally, one of them told the other and they both realized they were both having the same feeling at the same time. And so um, wow, I'm fortunate that I have great parents who act on that and uh, who trust that, that inner compass. And so uh, they started considering other places to be uh, where uh, my mom had grown up in Michigan and uh, my dad had uh, served as a missionary in upstate New York. So they thought, let's go ahead and check those places out. On the way, they stopped in Missouri to visit a relative and said, ah, you know what? This is the place we need to be. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so they sold the business, sold the house, moved out there and uh, got a farm. And, uh, and it was to raise kids. That was yeah. their main purpose, was to teach kids to, the, uh, to raise kids that could work and that had good principles and great character. And so we, we were very blessed to have that opportunity today. They call it free range parenting, you know, <laughs> like we got a roam yeah. on the farm and get home. Yeah. It's time to be family. Is that the one? Are we okay to go ahead? All right. Yeah. That actually is my, that's my daily alarm. Uh, uh, that's got, uh, Michael Jackson's beat it playing that reminds me that at some point I need to beat it out of work and get home and be with my family it's at some point. It's our fault. You're late then. And, uh, oh no, that's just like to get me started thinking about it. And then it's usually an hour or two before I get out. Yeah. But, uh, that is my daily reminder that I've got a family and, and, uh, bigger fish to fry. They need you. Yeah. There's a priority there. Yeah. There's definitely a balance and we've learned that over time, uh, listening to people on the podcast about how kind of that's a struggle for everybody. Yeah. Um, when yeah. they're starting a business or in the throes of growing a business, scaling a business, that balance between, you know, being the person that has to solve all the problems, but also you have other responsibilities that you need to attend to. Definitely. And I heard something recently where it's not find the balance, it's make the balance. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. you almost have to make it and be intentional about that balance and what works for you may not work for someone else. Absolutely. And for me, it's not even a balance. It's just like, where's the distribution? Because I can't be a... I, I, I don't think there is such thing as balance. Yeah. I think yeah. there's that it's more important to have a focus and to be there in that moment, you know. Here I'm with you yeah. and focused with you and with this audience and uh hopefully with the the um you know, the folks who are going to benefit from listening to this, but when it's time to be with my family, I'm going to be there. When it's time to be at work, I'm going to be there. Very cool. Yeah. It's a hard lesson to learn. It is. And you don't want to learn it too late. That's no. when you find a lot of problems later on. Yeah. So I've been very fortunate because, you know, doing that, having my daily alarm, my Michael Jackson beat it song every day, um, has given me the opportunity to like be at all the important stuff for my kids and with my wife and with my family. So I, I feel very grateful. We just, we just had our, our uh, youngest move out a few weeks ago. So it's a whole different Empty world. Nesters. Yeah. Wow. wow. Big milestone. Yep. Is it as great as everyone says it is? It's fantastic. Awesome. <laughs> Nicole, that one was for you. We love your, they love, they love their kids so much. The, the kids are awesome. <laughs> I love them. And seriously, I treasure every moment with them. I want to have as much time as we can with them, but yeah, I'm super proud of them for being 
independent, capable, you know, individuals doing good in the world. And, uh, so, so yeah, cool. gonna love that. So Darren, then you grew up on the farm and your parents were amazing. And that's evident from the incredible family that they've raised you and your siblings and a couple of them are at Rev Road as well. So that's kind of exciting. Yeah. Amy Hill, uh, sorry, Amy Hill, Amy Caldwell, <laughs> uh, Amy Hill Caldwell <laughs> is one of the co-founders of Rev Road yeah. and as is AJ here on the podcast. That's right. And we have several other great co-founders as well. Um, Jason Caldwell, Bruce Hassler, Bart Scala, and uh, just an incredible group of people who have dedicated uh, dedicated amazing amounts of time and effort to help other people achieve their dreams. And it's been so fun. It's been on, it's been a ride for sure. So what got you to there? Like you went from yeah. the farm, then what was what? next? Yeah. yeah. Sure. So I uh, had the great opportunity to serve as a missionary full time uh, for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and uh, to do that in Australia, um, that was uh, just uh, one of the most special opportunities of my life. Um, See, everyone dreams of going there. Darren actually got to go there. It was great. <laughs> yeah, and wonderful people. Um, you know, uh, there are several things that kind of uh, affected the way I look at uh, entrepreneurship. I uh, one, of, one of them was on, on that mission. I had a chance to live in Darwin and... Um, uh, and, and to meet people who were refugees who had uh, fled from East Timor. Uh, at the time, their dictator was um, going after anyone that had money and that was a minority. And so they went after the entrepreneur class that uh, were um, uh, of Chinese descent and uh, basically did terrible things to them. And so um, had many of the, the refugees in the area of Darwin had fled from East Timor and got to work with them and uh, just fell in love with uh, many of those people and, and uh, their stories. Um, they're very courageous from my standpoint and, uh, and almost all of them were business owners, you know? Um, so I kind of got my first inkling there of, you know, uh, that, that uh, you could, uh, you could start something from almost nothing. And, um, and then uh, at, I came back, went to Brigham Young University, had a chance to uh, meet with some incredible people there. And uh, at one point, um, some friends and I decided to start a company. And uh, in, that, in that opportunity, uh, uh, it just it lit a spark. Uh, sorry, it, it took a spark and lit lit it into a fire that made it really exciting to do that. So we printed t-shirts and, uh, and sold t-shirts and, uh, rented the t-shirt facility from midnight to 5 AM, uh, got them to train us on how to make them and put them in the dryer and use the silk screeners and, you know, hired, uh, an artist and did some designs. And, uh, what, what were some of the designs? What was on the t-shirts? Do you remember? Uh, of course I do. Okay. And they were, I, I, uh, they, they were political <laughs> the rally t-shirts or something. and my politics have changed. So I'm not really going to focus on that part. Okay. I like the fact that it started at midnight and went to five. A.m. Yeah, for so sure. He can't be held accountable for anything <laughs> printed between midnight and 5 a.m. Yep. No. And it was really funny because at that time, uh, you know, this was before most people had credit cards that they would use on a regular basis and there was no Venmo and mm -hmm. nothing like that. And so most of the purchases were with cash. 
and small bills. And so I remember the first time uh, uh, we did this and we, we had made about $12,000 in a weekend and we piled all the money up on a bed that we were renting in at this hotel room and we all took turns diving into it and taking pictures. It was kind of fun. <laughs> cool. Yeah. But we used that. We parlayed that money into another venture where we uh, did um, advertising to restaurants and um, and set up a computer program that would send it out, send the, the advertisements out in a fax, a daily fax that had our lunch specials. And, and the computer would actually um, make sure it went to businesses that were within walking distance. And so that was kind of cool. It was called the Lunchbox. And, um, and that actually started to grow. We grew it from Provo to Provo Orem to Utah County to kind of along the Wasatch front. And then we expanded into Arizona and cool. Yeah. That, that was starting to grow and, and be significant. And, um, the precursor to texting really. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, uh, and then I, I had this friend who kept just very curious about, the, the business and kept asking questions uh, about it and how we did it. And, um, and it was interesting. A couple of weeks later, we had a new competitor called the box lunch. Oh, really? Doing the exact same thing. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. They couldn't be more creative than just right? Right? around backwards. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a really great uh, opportunity for me to learn a good lesson. Cause my first knee jerk reaction was, man, that jerk, right? I mean, how could you do that? And he's dishonest and all this stuff. But then I realized um, with a little more thought that, no, actually, he's really smart and enterprising and um, just trying to, you know, build something for himself as well. And uh, the real challenge was that we didn't build something that was unique or defensible, like no barriers to entry. It was super, it was relatively easy, frankly, to to knock it off and and recreate um, and imitation is the highest source of flattery. It, right? it totally is. There you go. And, and at the same time, uh, a bunch of states passed laws saying that it was illegal to send a fax that was unsolicited because you were using their toner and their, oh, their paper. And so we just were like, yeah. And, and we also had some decisions to make, like quit and quit going to school. Full we were still full-time students at the time. And so we uh, had to either like quit school and focus on the business full-time or just like really focus on school. So yeah, that was interesting. We made the decision to just shut it down, split up Good. the proceeds and finish school, Good, which was great. I, I was going to say I'd never heard of fax advertising before, but it was, it was outlawed. So it was, that's why. That's why. <laughs> yeah. The power of legislation to yeah. affect your business. Yeah. Yeah. Very quickly. Well, so we did that, did another business that was in financial services. That was a complete failure. Um, uh, when, when, uh, anyone goes to get a mortgage, if they put down less than 20%, they have to pay uh, PMI, yeah. uh, insurance. And, um, a lot of people, they have to pay it until they reach 20% equity. A lot of people pay it beyond that. And the financial institution has to refund it to them. And a lot of people move or they get divorced. And so the money just doesn't get to them. And, uh, and that sits in a government, uh, fund. Uh, waiting for that person to claim it. And so we thought, ah, oh, we'll make a computer program to match it, the person with the money and we'll, we'll charge a fee um, to do that. 
Kind of like the states find your cash thing. It's very much yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah, but like long before that, like and 20 years before they did it. These days, yeah. And um uh and and we did it manually. Like we we figured out manually how to do it before we did the built the software. Yeah. And um and did a test to see if it would work. And the testing came back that more than 80% of the people would say yes. And uh, so we built the software, made the investment to call our cash, put it into that. And, uh, and not a single person said yes. Not oh, one. Crickets. What did you learn about validation well, from what, that? What would yeah. you think when you, if, yeah. Well, I'll answer that. Um, uh, what would you think? If that happened, I would think that you asked the wrong people to begin right? with and they weren't honest with you. You'd be like, what's wrong here? Yeah. Right. What was wrong with the validation? Yeah. And, uh, and we couldn't figure it out. Um, like we went back and looked at the data. We looked at who we called. They were the right people. It was the right numbers. It was the, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, they were on the list. And then uh, one of our wives said, um, hey, did you check to see if the person who did the calls actually called? And we thought, no, we didn't. And so we looked at the phone bill and they didn't. No way. They didn't call. <laughs> and uh, we, we, we confronted this individual and, uh, data. and they said, yeah, I'm really sorry. I just needed money. And <laughs> I just, no way. He, he falsified all of it. Wow. And, you know, here we'd put all our money into this. See, and, and I thought you were like calling your mom and then right? your grandma, like, <laughs> yeah. Is this a good idea? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. But no, they just didn't call anyone. They didn't. And so an, another really great lesson, you know, obviously that person was wrong to do that, right? Yeah. But again, it was it was our fault. Um, we... Trust but verify. Yeah, we didn't verify. We just trusted. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if it's important, you got to be in the mix. Can't just turn it over to someone. It's got to be, if it's essential, it's got to be something that, yeah. that I'm a part of or... My partners are. So that was a great lesson. Big fat zero on the business, right? Well, we it, lost all the money on that. It's interesting oh. too, Darren, because a lot of the, the guests on the show, they talk about their successes, but they, they also talk about how they, they learn a lot more with their failures. Yeah. It sounds like this was kind of the same thing. Definitely. Like the, those two um, uh, uh, were powerful, profound lessons. And, and you know, there are many others. Um, but to finish answering your question, we went on and started a, uh, a, a construction company doing stucco exteriors for uh, residential and commercial buildings. And uh, this was with a different partner um, that paid the rest of the way through school for me and my partner and our spouses. And that was really great. Um, uh, really quick, Darren, just something I've never asked you and I've known you for years and years and it's been a great relationship, but you went from completely unrelated industry to completely unrelated industry. How did you ever get up to speed to know what to do in these different industries? I mean, that's fascinating. Well, seeing kind of a trend here. Yeah. I I don't know. I just think there are a lot of transferable skills Mm. in entrepreneurship, right? I mean, you're building teams, you're finding product market fit. Um, you're, uh, making sure it's profitable. You're, uh, interfacing with customers and making sure their experience is delightful and exciting all of those things like you can do that in any business mm-hmm. like it in, in any industry or any product any service so um so i'd like to say it was because i was just super smart but it's more because we were just like dumb luck or just dumb one of the two 
Um, no, I don't believe that. <laughs> some serendipity in there for sure. Um, so cool. Yeah. And uh, I'm grateful for that because it's like giving me the, all these different areas of, uh, of interest and to be able to, you know, uh, do some good. But after that, um, uh, uh, I, I was married at the time, as I mentioned, and I just graduated from school and uh, we're doing the construction company. And we grew that to be a decent sized company with quite a few full-time employees. And I did some really great projects that I'm still proud to point out to my kids. I did that. We, our company did this. And, that's cool. Um, so that's kind of fun see things we made with our hands, you know, and, uh, uh, my wife and I, uh, come from very different backgrounds. My wife's parents, um, her dad worked for the same job her entire life, his entire career. And it was the U S military or for the U S government. And so, uh, my, my Mr. Toad's wild ride entrepreneurship journey was a little, disconcerting for her, especially as we had our first child and she was like, I'd like something a little more stable. And so, um, rather than the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. So we came to an agreement that I would go get a real job working for a company, um, until we hit some financial goals. And so, so that's what I did. I, uh, went and worked for, um, a couple of places. Uh, I worked in film and TV production on, uh, filming touched by an angel. Um, uh, got hit by a van while walking across the street. And uh, so that was the end of that job. And um, that. So, so when people say, don't get hit by a bus when they leave the, you know, go out the door or something, you, you really have lived that. <laughs> like I have. Don't yes. Get hit by a bus. I have. And. Uh, well, you're okay. What, what? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, yes. I, I had some broken bones. I wasn't allowed to walk for uh, six months. But. Wow. Um, it was It was a really interesting situation because I had been making more money than I'd ever made in my life. I was meeting movie stars on a weekly basis with the guest stars. I was in the industry I thought that I wanted to be in for the rest of my career. I was so excited. And um, uh, I would have never left that job um, unless a van hit me. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm pretty sure God sent a van to hit me because I wouldn't have left. And the, on the flip side, I, I wasn't seeing other things. Um, I was, uh, we worked 16 hour days on average, Monday through Saturday. So I woke up before my wife and, and son woke up. I got home after they went to bed six days a week. I saw them one day a week. And tough. Yeah, and it's, and it's not a fantastic industry um, for a lot of reasons, but, um, uh, I, I look back at that at the time I thought it was absolutely tragic. Um, but in hindsight, I'm so grateful that van hit me and sent me on a different direction, both literally and figuratively, because it gave me a, a whole different um, perspective on life. It gave me a different set of priorities. And, uh, my wife and I spent, um, uh, that next six months, like really honing in on, uh, being intentional on what we wanted in our life and setting some specific goals for that with time, with family, with focus, uh, with financial goals, uh, professional, uh, uh, growth and development. And, um, and ultimately, uh, that ended up with me working for the world's largest publishing company, uh, with some wonderful people at the very start of a new division, 
to help them become a digital company. And over the next nine years, nine and a half years, I guess, uh, we did that. We, we helped transform that company into a digital company and grew our digital division to be uh, the most profitable in the company and one of the larger ones. And this is in a you know $5 billion a year, 120-year-old book publishing company. So it gave me a lot of opportunities to be intrapreneurial, using their money <laughs> to learn a lot of lessons for that. And, um, and that's where you gain a lot of your experience in education technologies. It is. Which we use a lot at Rev Road today. We do, yeah. Yeah, and it was also helpful because seeing a digital transformation in an industry has been very helpful in many of the companies that we work with. Yeah. Because that's, at the core, that's what we do on a regular basis with innovation, right? Is we just help create that innovation from one level to the next level to the next level in a variety of industries. So, and that was one of the greatest opportunities in my life because I got to work all across the country, even in other countries a little bit, and uh, and help create some pretty dynamic growth and, and development and um, and literally help millions of kids learn how to read, um, which was like game changer for their trajectory and for their kids and grandkids. Um, so it was really awesome to have the chance to, to, to match that, um, that meaning with the money I was able to earn. Because during that time, I was also able to hit all those financial goals that we had set. Um, uh, and so that my wife would be comfortable with me going back to being an entrepreneur again. So this, I guess, obviously not while you were in the film industry, but, but this whole time you were with a publishing company, was that still in the back of your mind? Like, Hey, I've just got to get to this number oh, yeah. and I can go do what I want to do nonstop. Was it there when you were in the film industry as well? Or did it kind of, oh, take a back for sure. A no, uh, yeah, it was still there. Okay. It was still there. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think it's hard to ever get rid of an entrepreneurial bug once you have it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's. I agree. Based with that. on the people that we interview, I think that's definitely. And true. we see that, yeah. you know, with all of us here in this room, I think yeah. that's true. It's it's rare that any entrepreneur goes and says, you know, I think I'm just going to go do a nine to five mm -hmm. for someone else and help yeah. make them wealthy. So as soon as you hit your goals, were you gone? the next day or like the next month or was it like well, okay i'm being smart about this i'll figure out the idea I want. well and i think we need to back up a little bit uh, luckily i know a little more of the story and um not only did darren hit the goals and i hope you don't mind if i say this but he shattered some of the goal or some of the records in this company and they're like wow who is this guy you learned a lot of the sales techniques at that time and and that's kind of hel helped you with the rest of your career right yeah i had some pretty incredible opportunities there yeah. and um and uh, got to do some pretty amazing uh, projects, and and yeah. and had some some really fantastic successes. So I met some people that to this day we're still connected with, and helped oh, road a lot. Absolutely, yeah. And and one of the coolest parts of that was being able to help craft um, uh, relationships with team members that, like you said, have lasted for gener or not will last for, actually have lasted for generations yeah. and and uh, and for decades. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was some extraordinary financial successes, both for the company and for hitting the goals that, that my wife and I had set. And that gave us, you know, a little bit of capital to be able to go and do other things. And, and so, um, yeah, I mean, it was relatively soon after that. That's awesome. <laughs> it was time. Um, I love it. 
I and, love hearing that that you had that in mind. Your whole it was your passion, and it was something that you were working towards, and then just no hesitation. And, and this might be helpful for your listeners too, because um, uh, I know sometimes like they hear the story of other people, and sometimes it's hard to connect to like how does that affect me, mm-hmm. and what do I do? Um, one of the things that was super helpful is one of my mentors, Dave Myers challenged me and a bunch of others uh, at that company when we very first started this digital transformation. Um, we saw that we had incredible financial potential there. And he challenged us to achieve that potential and to use it to get 100% out of debt and to pay off our homes. And he even named it, it was, he, uh, he named it the Exclusives Club. And, uh, and the goal was for all of us to help each other and encourage each other to achieve that and to report and be accountable to each other on that. And every single person in that group achieved that. What a great mentor. Yeah. That's cool. It was a really awesome, awesome, awesome experience. And yeah. yeah. So that's something that a listener to this podcast could set a goal to do and, and, you know, and get a group together to help each other achieve that and to, you know, be accountable to each other to do that. Accountability is huge. I also think that like, a lot of the stories that we hear are they're like, just jump in, like, you know, in the entrepreneurial thing where it's just like, oh, burn your boats, or we've heard a couple different iterations of that, but put them aside or something. Yeah, the, set yeah. your boats aside or whatever. <laughs> lot, yeah. yeah. But uh but I also think that there's probably a lot of people that are in your situation or or they they're in the situation you were in where it's like I have other things that I, that are a priority right now. Yeah. And you know, your wife and you made a decision that for a portion of your career, you were going to get to a point where you had some financial independence and some stability before you jump back into that entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. vision. And so I think that there's probably entrepreneurs out there that are kind of maybe sitting at that point where they're like feeling that (laughs) urge to jump, but but it might not be the right time or whatever. So I think yeah. I think yeah. that patience that you showed to hit those goals is is also a lesson that people can learn. Well Absolutely, said, well yeah, said. that's a great point. And and the value of having unity uh, in that objective is super. Like it can't be it can't be underestimated. Not, entrepreneurship is not for everyone, right? For some people, it's best to to have a nine to five and to not worry about other people's problems or making payroll or. And that's okay. Yeah. It makes them happy. And it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you know, all work is honorable. And, um, so, uh, I'm super cognizant of that. Like that's wonderful. Uh, and, uh, so, you know, I was grateful that my wife was willing to, you know, share what she thought and, and that I was able to say, Hey, yeah, let's, let's figure out how we do this together and, and be united. And so once we reached those goals, she was on board. She was like, yeah, go ahead. Go be crazy. And it gave her the confidence and probably you the confidence too that let's go to the next step. Yep, that's That's right. Cool. Cool. Well, what was next? So uh, uh, (laughs) interestingly, along the way, during that time, I wasn't doing entrepreneurial stuff, but I was helping fund other people. Like I was investing in other entrepreneurs and helping to buy portions of businesses that uh, could grow, um, that we could be owners in, uh, but not uh, necessarily full-time participants in. And uh, so we did that with Phone Soap. We did that with an insurance company. We did that with a couple of others. 
and that was that was fantastic. Um, but after achieving those goals at Pearson, we went on, and uh, uh, I was going to go start a company that would help kids in China learn English using technology. And uh, I called one of my best friends, um, Susan Prater, at the time, and and told her that I was going to go do that. And she said, "Well, I just so happened." Uh, to be looking at starting a company. And I know a couple of other mutual friends that are going to start a company. Why don't we all just meet together and see if we can do something? And, uh, and so we did. We met at her house and, um, and we brought all of those ideas together and coalesced into a team and started a, a company called Imagine Learning, um, which uh, ended up, dis- we decided we would focus first on helping kids learn how to speak English. Um, overseas and fantastic team, awesome, awesome opportunity and absolutely terrifying um, because then here we were again risking our capital, right, to do this. But um, it was definitely the right thing. And um, uh, uh, for me, like I always want to study it out, think about it, um, put together the plan, you know, analyze the risks, um, try to quantify the opportunity uh, as well as the risk as much as possible. And I'd done all of that. Um, still was a little uncertain that this was the opportunity that I should be focused on and, um, uh, and, and got a very clear, um, just good feeling that it was going to be the right thing to do. And so focused in on that and uh, got all in and uh, the six of us um, started Imagine Learning, and um, it was uh, super, super um, fun. Um, it was pulling together a bunch of highly talented people. This was one of those high-risk businesses where, you know, we started with sixteen fully salaried professional employees with families and benefits like that's a high burn for a startup yeah lots of overhead you know and and we knew that this industry moved slow in education and it would take us you know several years to generate the kind of revenue to be profitable and so it was a huge huge risk and a big investment well let's let's talk a couple stories what was and I know that um, you guys had a great run at Imagine Learning, and, and then eventually, uh, after what ten years or so, exited out. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. We had about our first three years were super scary. Ran out of money several times. Had to, you know, uh, ask uh, team members to, you know, hey, can we all work without pay for a while, and or can you exchange salary, and can we find some way through here? And then we had several miracles happen along the way. Yeah. But then we started becoming uh, self-sustaining and profitable, and then we became very successful and scaled it to be uh, a really significant company. So during that journey, Darren, what um, you mentioned a couple of really scary, stressful moments, right? Sure. What What was the pinnacle or success moment where you felt like, okay, we've arrived. This is what I came here to do, and this is this this is gratifying to me. So uh, one of the best uh, moments for that was a young lady named Isra. Um, Isra was a, uh, Isra and her family uh, lived in Iraq. And um, her mother and father uh, were, uh, one was Shiite and the other was Sunni. And uh, one day her 
Um, dad was at work, all the kids were at school and, uh, mom was at home and, uh, the mom's dad and brother came and said, you need to leave. They took her phone, told her to leave, uh, told her that she needed to, uh, pick up the kids after school and, and not come home until after 10, that they were going to kill her husband and that she was going to be married to someone that was of their uh, faith. And so uh, she was desperate. She had no idea what to do. Um, and uh, she was able, she was really smart. She was able to get out, uh, leave quickly and, and quickly go find someone else with the phone and call her husband and warn him not to go, uh, not to go home. And so um, they, they got together. They quickly went to the, to the school and got their kids and they just left um, uh, with nothing, absolutely nothing and uh, fled to the safety of Syria um, where they spent three years in a refugee camp. And uh, during that time, Isra and her, her siblings didn't get to go to school. There was no school in this camp, uh, as is often the case. And interestingly, um, it's like this little ray of hope, this ray of sunshine just like pierced the darkness. They were one of uh, about, I think it's fourteen to 18,000 people a year that are lucky enough for the U.S. to say, we're going we're gonna to welcome you to the U.S. as a refugee. And, uh, which is a shame. Like, uh, we should be helping so many more. There's 60 million refugees in the world today, and we're helping, you know, fewer than 20,000 a year. And so they got uh, that, they won the lottery, basically, is what it is. And, and they got to come to the U.S. And so um, they were sent to Denver, Colorado, and uh, Isra went to school, and no one spoke Arabic there. She didn't have anyone that knew what she was saying. She didn't know what anyone else was saying, not any of the students, not any of the teachers, not any of the volunteers or parents except for her own. And she would just sit there and cry all day because she was just so frustrated, mm, didn't so know English. Yeah. And, uh, and suddenly someone at the school remembered that Imagine Learning, our program, um, one of the languages, one of the 17 languages that we supported at the time was Arabic. And they were like, let's put her on Imagine Learning. And so they brought her over to a computer, started up Imagine Learning, put the headsets on, and she just lit up. Like for the first time, she heard her own language and she knew what was happening. She knew what she was supposed to do. And, uh, and she started learning English. And uh, within six months, she had become, you know, conversational conversational yeah <laughs> rudimentarily conversational that's a big deal you know for for a young lady who's 11 years old and feels alone and um that was about the point that we heard her story and we sent our video team there and we recorded her and um interviewed her and she was just the most delightful young lady and she was so excited to be able to speak to us in english and she talked about our program, Imagine Learning, and what a difference it made for her and for, you know, others. And um, Amazing testimonial. Every six months, we would go back and record her again. That's cool. And um, this young lady uh, graduated from that school, from that school system with an international baccalaureate degree and went on to college, had full ride offers at four different universities, 
completed that her undergraduate and has just recently earned her M, her uh, PhD. Wow. Yeah. So cool. Completely changed her life, her family's trajectory, you know, her just think of what it will be different for her kids and her grandchildren. Yeah. Um so and it was yeah. probably so impactful for imagine learning at the time too. Oh, absolutely. And and multiply that by, you know, the the 2 million kids every day that we serve with imagine learning. That's what's meaningful. So then the advice for entrepreneurs in that case is go out and find someone using your product or service or technology and really show that value that you've given them in their life and help that grow your business. Absolutely. And and if it's if it's, you know, if if you're selling a widget, if you're selling, you know, nuts and bolts and it doesn't like dramatically change someone's life, that's okay. It's still awesome and provides value. And, and maybe the passionate part of your work is you're creating jobs and you're allowing people to, you know, feed their family and pay for a mortgage and send their kids to school and put braces on. Like there's so many meaningful things that we do as entrepreneurs. I, I, I like to refer to it as M&Ms, right? You've got a, the, the money part, which has to be there. Like we have to be profitable and we, it's good to be money motivated. That's how we grow and increase. But you also get the mission part that comes with that, which is super, super satisfying. Money and mission. I like that. Cool. So then after the exit at Imagine Learning and, and that was life changing and everything, then Rev Road comes into the picture. Almost. Oh, close. There yeah, was, there I had a, a little. There's I a had a, between. That's right. I had a great opportunity at that point. One of my one of my dreams, one of my lifelong dreams, was to be able to take my family and uh, buy round the world tickets and uh, go spend a significant amount of, of time together with them. And so we did that. It was awesome. And uh, the whole world, all, the whole world. What does that all mean? the way around? You'd, Six so, months. We pulled the kids out of school. No way. Yeah. And this is long before, you know, it was super popular on YouTube to, yeah. you know, ditch your life and just go roam. Right. Um, you were a pioneer. Well, I, I don't know if we were a pioneer, <laughs> but we, we're certainly thrilled to be doing it. And, uh, Jared, tell me about that, that ticket that you purchase where if you keep going from city to city or something, you don't keep buying plane tickets. You just keep going. Sure. Like yeah. That. On one of the alliances, it's not measured in miles, it's in segments. And so that's the one that we, that we did. And it gave us the chance to go to 30 countries. Um, we spent, uh, about half a year doing that, which was, amazing and just incredible opportunities to do service and experience cultures and uh, try new things and and uh, uh, have a lot of fun together. Um, yeah, it was a, a great growth and learning experience for our family. Wow. That's fascinating. So, cool. so that was super fun. And I came back uh, and at that point had this really kind of important juncture had to decide like I, I I would have loved to just kept doing that <laughs> forever. <laughs> it's around the world now in like three, yeah three thousand days. Yeah. It's just still going. <laughs> yeah. And um uh but you know real life has to come into play, especially when you have five kids and and uh so so we were back and but my wife and I did have an important decision to make that at that juncture. And it was, you know, uh, am I going to, I had visions of staying retired and just, you know, going to sculpting classes in, in, you know, uh, Italy with her and doing excursions in Israel and service, in, you know, in places here with the homeless and just like lots of fun things. And, uh, 
you know, there's an old phrase, uh, uh, I want you home, uh, what is it? Uh, I want to be with you and I want to be around you for dinner, but not, or I want to be around you, but not for lunch every day, something like that. <laughs> and, uh, and that was kind of her perspective. Like, Ouch, <laughs> you need to, that person you need right. to go do something else <laughs> yeah. and not be in my, in my shadow all day long. <laughs> And, uh, so, um, so, uh, with that decision, it was, it was clear I needed to go do something that was going to add some more meaning. And fortunately I had the opportunity, um, through our, some just really good friends, uh, to run into a nonprofit. I got to, uh, get to know this group and, uh, it was one that was started by Victor Frankel and, um, Stephen Covey and, uh, it's called the Responsibility Foundation. And got to come in and, and be a part of that and uh, just led that for several years full-time as a volunteer and um, uh, had the great privilege in that uh, opportunity to work with some incredible people, great volunteers, amazing staff members. AJ was one of those who came and joined that. And uh, we were able to uh, 10x the results of that foundation that they had had in the previous 13 years. Yeah. Uh, in less than two years, we did that and we're able to uh, create some incredible advances. We uh, worked with um, Studies Weekly yeah. and Ed and Celeste Rickers to conduct the largest um, mock election, uh, mock, mock presidential election for school kids. We had over 5 million students participate. Yeah. Um, brought in the Harlem Globetrotters yeah. and, and just helped uh, promote responsibility around the country, which we really need. That's right. And, uh, and, and since then we have transitioned the organization to just amazing leadership. Um, and, uh, and, and then decided that we would go start a new company called RevRoad. And, uh, uh, the, the thought being, let's go do something that tackles a big problem. And, um, and that big problem is that way too many entrepreneurs fail and they don't have to, like if they had the right experience and capital and the right, um, assistants and advisors and, uh, the right tool sets and, um, the right help at the right time that they could get over these, these things that would otherwise kill their business. So how did that idea germinate? Like, why was that the decision that you made to do at that point in your career? Well, I, I think part of it, and, and I want I want to hear Darren's response on this, but we were all we had all been entrepreneurs before, and we saw how hard it was, and yeah. we thought, you know, there's so many good people out there that are struggling to make it work, and if they just had that little bit of extra help, they could make it, and that's what we decided to to solve, you know, that problem. Absolutely, and. Uh, and, and, and it was from observing others, but it was also, like you said, from our own personal experiences, all of us had had really incredible opportunities and, and, and outcomes and blessings, you know, just like financially and otherwise, uh, through entrepreneurship. And yeah, as we compared notes during our, our early morning, 5am weightlifting sessions, That's right. we found that, um, uh, many of us had also had absolutely horrendous, awful experiences that shouldn't have happened um, as we went through those entrepreneurial journeys. And we found that there were patterns in those. Mm -hmm. and, and as we started interviewing other entrepreneurs and uh, accelerators and incubators and VCs and PEs, um, we found a very clear, distinct pattern 
in the responses. And that was that there are some things that were very broken in entrepreneurship. And uh, we thought, hey, isn't that what we do? We fix bro- problems. We, we, uh, we fix broken things. Let's go do that. Let's start an organization that can make that happen. You know, one, just without going into too much depth on, on the problem side, one of the biggest problems is that a lot of entrepreneurs um, uh, are naive to many of the dynamics of entrepreneurship and funding and working with um, investors and, and end up in a situation where they create something amazing and then they do not have control of it anymore. Someone else does who did not build it. And, uh, uh, and, and that's because of an, uh, an unequal playing field. And that's one of the things that RevRoad does is we help level that playing field. We help inform those entrepreneurs. They don't go into those conversations naive. They go in eyes wide open on, you know, what does this term and that term sheet mean? How can that be used, you know, three years later to pull control away from, uh, of the company away from you and, you know, uh, you know, get you fired by people who really are just recent entrants, um, and didn't create much value, uh, other than financial engineering. Um, we're talking about creating real value through innovation, real value through, um, putting in the work to, uh, generate that value. And so, um, uh, that's been one of our key goals is to help our entre- entrepreneurs grow amazing companies, scale them, survive over the, the treacherous parts that would otherwise help their companies fail. The valley of death. That's right. That's the valley right. of death specifically. Yeah. Right. Um, but then also know how to grow it and how to scale it effectively. Like, uh, you know, uh, there's a, there's a, uh, kind of a, a prevailing thought that, um, some people are just good at one stage and that is true to a degree, but it's not always true. And in, in fact, in, in many more cases than, uh, than is not the case, those same leaders can, uh, can learn to lead at each of those stages of the business or they at most of with. those. Yeah. yeah. Uh, given the opportunity. Yeah. And so, uh, so we help our entrepreneurs with that. And so they can be savvy about making the right decisions. And if they want, uh, they, they can, they can keep control as long as it's the best thing for the business. And as long as they want to. Over the last five years, you've had hundred and how many companies come through? Oh my gosh. A couple thousand. Oh, thousand. What? So many. Couple thousand have really? applied. Oh, yeah. okay, App- applied. But how many have been accepted in, like in the cohorts? Fifty nine. Fifty nine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you have had. I mean, that's more companies than like think about like a normal career. Somebody's part of like three or four companies. So you've been on like experience on steroids. So over <laughs> the last fifty fifty nine companies over it. five years, if you could if you could provide one piece of advice to an entrepreneur that's just starting their journey or is in the trenches right now, what would that one piece of advice be? Well, um, it would probably be a piece of advice that I was given, uh, by Scott Peterson, uh, who is a very successful serial entrepreneur, uh, and has run, uh, the Rollins Center for Entrepreneurship at Brigham Young University for you know over ten years, um, and that is 
take all the, or listen to all the advice, but take none of it. Right. Um, that it's important to, uh, to gain as much insight and knowledge and, um, information and data, uh, and analysis as you possibly can from as many good sources as you possibly can. And, you know, that includes from customers. It includes from competitors. It includes from your team and from your investors. It includes from, uh, just independent third parties and anywhere you can get it. Mentors. Mentors and everywhere. Um, and then make your own choice, like trust your own intuition, um, to make the right choice. I was talking with an entrepreneur just before coming here and she's a powerful entrepreneur, um, and doesn't quite know it yet. You know, I mean, her insights are profound. Her, um, gut instinct is almost always just spot on. And learning to trust that is super important, super, super important because no one can grow. No one can run your business for you. Like no one can, no one's going to step into your shoes and, and whatever advice they give you, they're not typically there for the outcome or the consequence of that advice. So they're never going to have the level of investment that you do in, in those outcomes and in those consequences. And uh, when you're leading a company as an entrepreneur, those decisions affect all of those same constituents that I just said, you know, your shareholders and your team members and your partners and your customers. And, uh, and, and so like, it's really, really profound, uh, profoundly important to own that, uh, that decision, those decisions like that Mm -hmm. being humble enough to kind of ask for that feedback at all levels, but also being self-confident enough to, to push forward. Yeah. And to make those decisions because, um, you you know, and you won't be, uh, I, I'm not right, uh, all the time. No one's right all the time. And, you know, you make mistakes, but I think we're far more likely to be right more of the time when we do that, when we are humble enough to get that, those insights and then to make those decisions. Do you think that like that statistic that they say that 80 or 90% of startups fail make entrepreneurs hesitant to make a mistake? Because they're like, oh, this could be the mistake that makes me part of that uh, that data point that like I have one chance, and if I don't get this decision right, the business is done. Well, how many how many times have you talked to entrepreneurs on this podcast, and they've talked about the imposter syndrome? Right, everybody. almost sing- yeah. every single one. <laughs> right, really, yeah, because mm-hmm. that's that's because we all feel it, right? Yeah. Right. Um, and the reality is, is, and, and you have to remember my, that, that advice I got from Scott that I shared, uh, that I just parroted back is a two-step piece, right? It's not just plow forward with what you think is best. Yeah. Um, it's listen very, very carefully and take all of those insights in, uh, the word that you used was be humble. Yeah. Uh, and we, we value that we have five H's that we look for in all of our team members, um, in our hiring in our um, portfolio companies and it's head, hands, heart, humor, and humility. And, uh, you know, I learned these from our, I learned four of those, those uh, from Susan Prater, one of my former partners and fellow co-founders and my former boss at Imagine Learning. She was amazing. Um, And then we added a fifth one to that 
and um, and she got those from 4-H, mm. the Ag Club, right? That raises a- animals. Um, head is like street smarts and intellect and things that you've learned through study, like all of those um, uh, components and aspects of intelligence and intellectual curiosity and all of that. Okay. Um, and then hands is work ethic, skill, um, resilience, grit, um, all the things that have to go into, you're going to slug it out. Like those are hands. And then, um, heart is passion. Like you have to have a passion in your business. For me, the passion is helping others create their dreams. Like, literally doing that. And I do that by creating jobs. I do that by creating companies and new products. I do that by working with amazing co-founders and wonderful investors, um, awesome partners. Um, but you have to be passionate about something. Uh, it can be your product. It can be your industry, anything. And then humor, like we want people that are fun. Like right. you gotta be able to laugh and joke and, yeah. and also be able to laugh at yourself and like so important. make huge mistakes. Um, and, and still be okay. Uh, and then the most important is that fifth H which, which is humility. Um, and it's know. surprising how many people don't have that one. That's a tough one. Usually it's, it's the fatal one. That's the right. That's exactly it's right. the fatal one. So I, I, I guess I just want to share that just to say, uh, I think some listeners might like take, well, I'm just going to go with my gut and I'm yeah. going to do everything the way I want. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, or, or what Scott or what Scott was saying, it's got to be humble and, and then trust for sure. And strategically move forward once yeah. you gather the feedback that you need. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I love that. You know, one of the best examples that I have seen of this is uh, uh, leadership with partners in uh, central bank and, you know, central bank is, the sponsor of this podcast. And uh, uh, so I'm going to talk about them for just a minute because <laughs> my personal experience with them has been incredible. Um, Central Bank and CB Vault. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. The, uh, you know, at, Ima- at Imagine Learning, I told you some of that startup story. Um, like our first three years were absolutely terrifying financially. Like we put everything in there and we're, there was one time when we, we made payroll right before Christmas and we had 200 bucks left in the bank. We had about three dozen employees at that point. That's pretty terrifying. Yep. And we were thrilled that we made payroll. <laughs> and then we were like, crap, what are we going to do? We didn't think about weeks? the next step. We just were happy to make payroll. And, um, and we also had seasonality in our business. And so it was very difficult. And we went to well over a dozen banks with all the names that people would know. And no one would give us a line of credit. No one would help us. And uh, uh, they all wanted to help us after we were successful, but none of them wanted to help us when we needed help. Uh, with one exception. And that was, I remember talking with my friend about all these banks we'd gone to. And I found out that in that conversation that he worked at Central Bank. And, uh, and I said, he said, what do you need? And I said, we need a $50,000 line of credit to smooth our, our earnings so that we can, we can make things work. He stuck out his hand, shook my hand and said, you've got a line of credit for $50,000. I was like, don't you need like applications <laughs> and financials? And 
If you're listening to this, not all the deals at Central Bank work that way. No, <laughs> they don't. I know that. But we are a res- we are a definitely a relationship bank. Oh my 100%. gosh, that is amazing. Yeah. Such a cool story. It's a different if it it's a different kind of feel. And I didn't grow up. I didn't you know my career has not been in banking. No, uh. Uh-uh. And so I don't come to it with the same perspective that a lot of the other employees at Central Bank come to it. Yeah, but. Uh, you know, listening to my co coworkers and and uh, other employees at the bank, they they do talk about that, like that it's so different here. It's massively different. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I've had the opportunity to work with many banks in many different businesses, but uh, I always, always go. Central Bank is the one that I always want to bank with. This is the one where the relationship is core to everything. And yes. We do turn in applications <laughs> and financials. Just to We're be trying clear. to make it as simple as possible. But you know what? It's interesting because I've seen, you know, I'm behind the scenes, right? Sitting in those loan committee meetings, yeah. listening to the conversations that they have about customers. And um, the way that they talk about the customers and the way that those conversations go, it they truly are about the relationship. And one of the conversations or one of the questions that the president of the bank always asks is, how is this going to benefit the community? And I brought a deal to him a while ago that was an out-of-state kind of thing, but it was a no-brainer because it was like a local person that had you know decent amount of money. And he was like, eh, there's another bank that will do that for him. It's not anything that's going to benefit our community. And mm-hmm. so it, it's not just a saying. Mm-hmm. They're not just saying like it's not we're, we're a community bank. They truly embody that we're a community bank and they're trying to make a difference in the communities that they serve. Well, and a big part of that has to do with uh, the fact that it's been family owned uh, for over a hundred years, well over a hundred years and continues to be, I, I, my, it's just my experience there with imagine learning with phone soap, with rev road, with like literally over a dozen other companies uh, that I've either been an owner in or on the board of with Working with Central Bank has just been amazing. Well, you know, I you guys know I was at the city before and was happy, you know, had a really successful career as a city manager and was really happy with what I was doing and got approached by Central Bank to come start this new department that yeah. was for entrepreneurship. And they, they literally had nothing. They were like, hey, we just need somebody to come start this and we have this goal in mind and we want to move this thing forward. But they convinced me to leave the city to come start this brand new thing. And it was because of who they were. Like, you know, they said, look, we'll give you the autonomy you need. And, you know, they treat their employees the same way. And it's, it was a leap of faith for sure, because I didn't really know them, but the last year has been a lot of fun and, and I'm excited to see what we're able to do and, and continue the relationship. And now we have dozens of uh, portfolio companies that have done great work with our partners at uh, CB vault uh, within central bank. Part, good partners are essential to any company's success. Yeah. You know, finding once once you find those partners, you know, uh, I I would say uh, Central Bank is one of those partners. Squire has been one of those amazing partners with us. Um, so as uh, well, many many other partners. Carta and just Carta, a bunch of others. Yeah, yeah Tanner, a bunch yeah. of others that are just fantastic people. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful organizations, and it just helps remove friction. Yep. From the process. And uh, and can be essential uh, to getting through those valleys of death. Yeah. 
Darren is, you know, CEO of RevRoad and, and uh, you know, RevRoad's, you know, the other sponsor to this podcast. What do you hope entrepreneurs get out of the uh, Midnight Founders podcast, just from a vision standpoint? Well, um, I, I don't know about everyone else, but when I listen to a podcast, um, I'm always hoping that I'll find a connection there. Something that I can, I can say, ah, oh, you know what, that's the thing I've been looking for. Or that's the answer to something that's kept me up at night. That's giving me um, uh, someone else's wisdom. You know, spending a lot of my time in education, I've learned that uh, we live vicariously through media. We live vicariously through books, through podcasts, through movies, through music. And, and, and those things can take us anywhere. They can take us forward or backward in time. They can take us to outer space. They can take us to other countries or into other cultures. They can take us into the mind of someone else. And so we can vicariously experience what they have experienced and therefore not have to go through it ourselves, right? Like I can gain uh, decades of wisdom by listening to someone's podcast here on Midnight Founders Podcast. Why wouldn't I want that? Like, I want all of that. Uh, I, I want all the wisdom of, of a Johnny Hanna or of a Jeff Bitten or, you know, just fill in the blank with fantastic entrepreneurs. Um, I want to learn from each and every one of them. So I, I think that's what I would be looking for. Very cool. Well, I for me... I didn't know all your history, so it's been a pleasure getting to hear your story because I've always wondered kind of why you got into Rev Road and how you, you got on that path. Um, but I would add Darren's name to that list of people that, uh, you know, people can look for little nuggets of wisdom. And, Absolutely. And so I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate the time you've taken with us today uh, to be on the the Midnight Founders podcast. And um, how do listeners find us. you or Rev Road? Uh, you bet. So, um, for RevRoad, just come to our website, RevRoad.com. I invite all of you who listen to come, uh, go to the bottom of the homepage and put your name and email address in, and you'll get all the information and updates. Uh, you can also follow us on LinkedIn and, uh, uh, Instagram Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all the social places. Love to have you do that. I invite everyone to come and participate in the amazing uh, events and, uh, and trainings that we put on that we open to the public. And you'll find those on the website as well. And uh, welcome anyone to come visit Rev Road in person and we'll uh, give you a tour and tell you about what we do. And if you're an entrepreneur, uh, we invite you to apply to be a part of Rev Road. Uh, we have companies that have joined us, you know, pre-revenue, pre-product, like everybody kind of thinks we do. Um, all the way up to having millions and hundreds of millions of dollars of, uh, of revenue and wanting to have RevRoad help them scale. And, uh, and then us jumping in and working shoulder to shoulder to help them do that. And it's been quite a great experience and very successful. Thanks, Darren. Yeah. Good to have you here today. Hey, it's a real pleasure. Thanks, you guys. Cool.